Good morning, good evening. Uh, this is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Wolf, our global webcast for consciousness and culture. I welcome with us Hansi Freinacht. Hansi Freinacht, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Very pleased to be here. Hansi, uh, there is a book going around, at least here in Europe, and uh, this book is called The Listening Society, and it is about a different perspective on um, social change mm. and many other things. And you are the author of this book, The Listening Society. And uh, I heard from different people about this book. Uh, they are quite excited that this may be also a contribution uh, to the difficult times that we are in and uh, many social discussions, how we can create a new future from here. You are using a term, you have not invented this term, but you're using it. Uh, it's called metamodern. And I would like to uh, ask a little bit of uh, this metamodern perspective uh, that you are developing in this book, The Listening Society. Um, if you would describe it in a couple of sentences, uh, what uh, makes metamodern metamodern? Yes. Um, I mean, very, very simply stated, there is the modern mainstream perspective, which we all get from, from our schooling and everyday life. And then there is the postmodern critique of the modern perspective, which is uh, dominant in academia and in uh, the humanities and philosophy, critical social sciences, in countercultures, in uh, eco-movements, in alternative uh, um, communities, and so forth. And more, often among the more uh, highly privileged, highly educated, culturally, uh, culturally rich strata of the world, you have a lot of post-modernism. Um, that doesn't mean we live in a postmodern time. The, the world system is, is a modern world system. We still live in capitalist markets with democracies and so forth. Um, metamodernism is, is in a way a silly term, uh, seeing that post means after in Latin. So postmodernism is what comes after modernism or modernity. And modern just means new. So after the new. Uh, but these things have, these words have gotten, um, deeper and deeper and more and more diverse meanings, sometimes to the, to the, um, to the point of being diluted, um, that, uh, or diluted, that they, uh, lose their meaning. But if you look at, um, modernity, the modern world, it was described by the classical sociologists. It had certain traits and they understood that modernity is not an epoch. It's not. Uh, a period of time in history, it is something else. It is a quality. It is a quality in the social relationships between human beings. It is a quality in how human beings think, how they act, how they perceive the world, how we create our sense of self. And of course, uh, all of the economic structures that follow from uh, and, and technological structures and, and political structures and arts that follow from this. Postmodernism in the same way is a kind of structure or sense um, and it correlates to certain changes in the psychology of human beings. So this means that you can't find a lot of postmodern people just in any society. If you go to Nepal, for instance, 
you might find environmentalists there, but they are, but genuinely postmodern values and ideas and behaviors and aesthetics are going to be less common, a lot less common, common than let's say around New York or let's say around, uh, um, the Nordic countries like Sweden. And, um, Metamodernism, then, is a new kind of emergent sense of the world, a sense-making of the world, a new kind of way in which we constitute our relationships, in which we constitute ourselves, in which we uh, govern our lives, create other institutions. And unlike postmodernism, it is not just a comment on modern society and its major structures and its world system. Unlike postmodernism, metamodernism is a distinct developmental stage which manifests in society as society and as structures in society, as new institutions, new ways of being and new ways of living and perceiving the world and new ways of having an adult mm -hmm. self. And the, it, the key difference then between postmodernism and Metamodernism is that the postmodern mind is, of course, quite, um, it's quite multi-perspectival. It doesn't believe uh, anyone can have the perspective of God or that there is pure objectivity. And it believes that uh, uh, it is often through parallax views, by comparing different views, that we get the best truth. Metamodernism believes that too, but it also believes that different truths uh, arrive in a sequence of equilibria that makes sense to certain people in certain times and certain psychologies, certain um, stages of personal development and certain stages of life. So metamodernism, its key project, the key project of metamodernism is to add this developmental view as, which starts from the psychology of each of us to the institutions of society and to the uh, critical thinking of postmodernism. Mm -hmm. Yes, we will use many perspectives, but they have a direction. There is an order in the chaos, and mm -hmm. it is by supporting that direction, by deepening that inner development in many of us and each of us through changes in institutions of society, through political changes over time, it is that that's how we can make a happier world, a healthier world, a whole world, and a world that actually survives the crisis of an aging modernity. Modernity is super powerful, but it is aging and it is cracking, mm. and we need to make this leap. That's that's more than a two three sentences, um, or maybe a few very two or three very long ones. I hope you forgive me. Well, let's start with. Um an understanding of what we talk about when we talk modern. Mm -hmm. uh, because um, I think one way to understand when we talk modern worldviews and how we are living somehow in a world, uh, in modern world, it's, it's relationship to science. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, one could say, uh, at least this is my understanding of modern uh, to big tech, the scientific worldview uh, that, that allows us really to deal with reality in, in a way that is rational, that is measurable, Uh, that really allows us to not uh, re rely so much on myths of reality, but really uh, on findings that is empirically founded and that we can measure, that we can calculate, uh, and that we rationally can build theories about it. All what we call science mm. is um, 
very much at least related to modernity and uh, the different uh, modernity started with the invention of science uh, around 1500 you could say so and we are still in the world in particular also the, the the world of the algorithms that we are diving into right now is still completely somehow a world of science the algorithm uh, uh, just a very sophisticated form of systematic forms of science and there's a critique of this scientific worldview, uh, basically that it is reductionist. It, it reduces our humanness. And I would say the postmodern critique of this is very much that it sees that uh, there's something lacking in this, uh, viewing everything as measurable, everything as kind of, uh, put down to a rational theory. There is a kind of uh, also looking back into what we had before, like spirituality, like the myths. Uh, or no new forms of philosophy that kind of are critiquing the scientific point of view. Uh, this uh, form of critique, and you put it as a form of critique, is very much what uh, the postmodern since the 60s in its many ways is critiquing there's something lacking in uh, this uh, science-based modernity and what, what it brought with democratic capitalism and also the crisis that we are in. Um, you're saying that um, metamodernism is something that is... Uh, beyond uh, what uh, this scientific worldview and the scientific world that we entered in the last, last 500 years, 300 years, and uh, the pure critique of it uh, with the uh, multi-perspective uh, forms of uh, postmodernity is about. Uh, what is the specific thing? What, 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 is the, what, what metamodern brings in that, that uh, you say this is uh, not just a critique, this is a, a new stage of consciousness, maybe a new stage of culture? Uh, well, thank, thank you, Thomas. Uh, that, that I, I didn't think it would go there. It's, um, it's my favorite question. It's about, of course, uh, uh, theory of science. And uh, the reason that theory of science shows up always when you speak about this is that at the fundamental level, I believe, or I hold or I find, after many years thinking about this, I come back to the same few things. And it appears that other thinkers around the world are seem to be fall, stumbling upon independently, many, many people, upon the, the primacy of the philosophy of science, that all the worldviews are fundamentally philosophies about what the truth is and how it works and what reality is and how it works and how you find out knowledge about it. So these are fundamentally, when you really cut to the core, they are uh, these metamemes, the modern, the postmodern, and the uh, metamodern, they are um, deep patterns of truth-seeking. So if to really understand the modern worldview, it's actually good to start even earlier. In the pre-modern worldview, uh, there, are, there are four at least four pre-modern worldviews, but the, the one uh, the, the one prior to to modernity is uh, what's sometimes called traditional. I call it post-Faustian. And uh, in this worldview, uh, people realize that there is a critique of the earlier worldview, what I call the Faustian worldview, uh, in which uh, power is the highest principle. And whoever has the power, whoever wins, can defy the gods and uh, and be a savior and be a hero. You, you will have religions such as such as uh, the Vikings going to Valhalla if they if they die in battle, for instance. And you can see revivals in our days of this of uh, of, uh, of the religion at this level. So, for instance, ISIS, their interpretation of the Quran uh, is 
fundamentally a Viking religion where you fight as a warrior and go to Valhalla. But the, there is a critique of that. They're saying at some point, 2,500 years ago, uh, somebody said, was the Buddha, there were, other, uh, there were other figures like him around the world. And this happened in parallel in uh, the Axial Age. Mm-hmm. And a big religious awakening that, wait a minute, maybe the king shouldn't be king because he's most powerful and has the biggest sword or the biggest army. Maybe he should be king because he's the, he does the good or he serves the truth and the good. And then where do you know the truth? Well, there has to be not many gods, or they can be many gods, but there has to be one principle that binds all of these gods together. There has to be one highest truth, one source of truth. And so you get things like uh, like the the Buddhist scriptures or or the Bible or the Quran, where there appears to be one highest truth. And uh, then the next... uh, mission for humanity is to interpret this truth and then modern society is a critique of that one truth highest principle it says yes there is one truth and it is the highest thing and this truth is universal you're right but if it is universal says the modern mind shouldn't we all be able to see it not just a prophet in a cave shouldn't everybody be able to verify it if it's universal, it cannot be bound by space and time or, or by whoever whoever talks. And that's, of course, the this beginning of the scientific perspective, uh, beginning with, with things like Lutheran uh, interpretations of the Bible into, into G- the German language and uh, uh, the teaching of uh, peasants to read and write. And going on in the scientific revolution with uh, the principle of, intersubjectivity that I verify the truth that you find and you verify the truth that I find or we falsify them and through that means uh, we have we leave the subjective realm and nature comes out as an independent feature of reality so modern society begins for instance in the renaissance when in the arts, you have the beginning of correct perspective. So natural science finds its way into painting and poof, the social world no longer governs the natural world around it. If somebody's farther away, they will be smaller, even if they are the king or the philosopher. If somebody's closer, even if it's the beggar, he will be larger. In post-Faustian cultures, that's not how it works. So. Uh, this principle of intersubjectivity runs through all of modernity. And that's usually what we mean when we say this. Modernity is the rational mind. So it says it, it runs through democracy. We verify decision-making with our votes. It runs through the market. We verify products on, and, and companies with our money. Of course, unevenly distributed money. And uh, uh, if, I, if I, we come in, yes, that, that, yes. that all sounds good to me. What is the problem? <laughs> well, the problem is the postmodern mind comes in sooner or later when the modern mind has uh, has matured, and uh, postmodern uh, modern mind just doesn't recognize their own kids. You know, you have people in the sixties and fifties uh, like uh, like Foucault, and he says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute." So everybody verifies uh, the truth, and and as and we verify the truth, and then through that we say it's it's correct but what happens if everybody who verified 
shares the same blind spot because they're from the same group or have the same interest or have the same or the same position within society or what if uh, there's some structure in language that doesn't allow them thought b which was just adjacent to thought a what if uh, they they were affected by group dynamics and prestige and charm and power. And if you look at people, how they really act and how they really think, you notice that, aha, uh-huh, nobody is, as, is rational. Nobody. There's not a rational person in the world. Emotion and perception and cognition they are always intertwined so you cannot purify cognition and cognition then is always trapped in a in a, in the play or dance with emotion and and perception and other things too and these are always caught in a social universe so to understand the truth you have to understand the emergent properties of the perspective and you have to see how the perspective of the group will shape the perspective making and the perception of truth by certain groups. And it's not difficult to see it. So business people will tend to be, well, more libertarian or right wing because they see in their everyday life how taxes uh, hurts their business yeah. and, and so forth. May, may, may I come in again and uh, uh, just uh, bring your very sophisticated run through history to a, a more uh, uh, simplified version? <laughs> yes, in the way I understand. In the way I understand, basically you're saying, uh, uh, or, or basically uh, we as, as humans, we always try to find out the truth. And uh, there was this uh, this time where basically uh, a Jew was what uh, the powerful people the, the, uh, you you brought the Viking, but any kind of king or uh, basically uh, the gods. Uh, my god was the right god because he was the most powerful god. This was this right. was a worldview. You could call it in the tribal society, or or even the, the the Greek societies, the Roman societies. It was very much about basically who had the most powerful god was 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 right. This kind of thing, and you say oh, something happened uh, in the run through history that uh, we found out maybe uh, uh, just being powerful doesn't mean uh, to be the right thing, and we we find something like let's put it in my word. Uh, absolute truth or absolute goodness and there's a different version of this absolute goodness we have the christian uh, uh version in our time but uh you, in the indian subcontinent you you, you had brahman or or, or, or the, the buddhist version but it's all about uh, one unifying principle of goodness uh, in, in the kind of thing and this is, are you saying is a progress to what happened in history because it's not just about powerful, uh, and, uh, but, uh, basically who determines what is good and what is not good. And then you say something happened and we call this the science. We, we, we started to find criteria uh, where we all can, uh, kind of, uh, discuss what goodness is. And this is one, on one hand, kind of the scientific, uh, principle of rationality to find kind of, uh, forms of, uh, ratio or uh, logic and the other hand it's a very democratic principle we're all involved and this created uh, what we know as uh, uh, the, uh, the modern worlds 
obviously these modern worlds somehow did not create paradise on uh, on, uh, on earth that's the thing itself that's also interesting because uh, it should be if we all come coming together and finding rational ways how to how to create truths what happened and, and then you, you you bring Foucault as one of the critiques of this uh, uh, modernist worldview and say, yeah, yeah, it's it's okay that we are all talking about this, but basically we all have blind spots and nobody's without a blind spot. Uh, so we 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 have to accept that we have uh, different perspectives and uh, uh, nobody is really rational. Uh, but aren't we then just back in a power game where basically there are different groups and uh, it's it's all about uh, so this criteria to find out what is the good life, what is the truth, well, how should we organize society? Or, uh, this, this postmodern view uh, reminds me in some way to where you started off. That is, in the end, uh, all about power, and somehow that's also the way Foucault talks about. It. Basically, it's it's yes. it's all it's all about power. And actually, that's what you will hear postmodernist scholars say to this day. You sit down in the train, you notice that. Oh, you're a sociologist too. I have a background in sociology and I see what they're reading and they're reading about ethnicity or reading about gender, uh, gender inequality or any of these topics. And I uh, ask them what their passion is and what their engagement is with, with this issue. And they will all reply. They will all reply the same sentence. Basically it's about power. And of course, there's a difference here. There's not an adulation of power, at least mm. not a conscious one. Rather, there's a criticism of power. But here, you, you, there, there's a dynamic here uh, we might have noticed between hard value memes and soft value memes, and they, uh -huh. they or masculine and feminine ones, if you like. So, um, the, the the Faustian one, where I mean, warrior gods. Mm -hmm. And and power for the sake of power, and uh, the the declaration of independence by man against the forces of nature and against the gods through political power, through violence, through conquest, uh, and through slavery. Uh, all of the that's a, that's obviously a hard value meme, and it and it shows up in agricultural societies, and it's hard because it changes the means of information and production. Agricultural societies with writing. The next one, you have, um, and writing is more important, not the wheel, you, that you have a symbolic language that allows this visual information. The next one, uh, the post-Faustian age, it sets the saint over the warrior, and it's obviously a soft one. It's obviously, it, it's against slavery. It's against wanton aggression and war. It's against inequality, and uh, and it's against just power for the sake of power. It says power can exist, but always there must, in the last end, there is the truth and there is the good, and that's what it's all about. Mod modernity doesn't add a moral revolution to the post-Faustian uh, post values. That's why we still today like to talk about Christian values, uh, Judeo-Christian tradition and so forth, because modernity itself never are you sure? What about the French Revolution? What, what about yes, Egalité, yes, Fraternité, yes. and Liberté? Yeah, but uh, look at those things, though. Uh, aren't they exactly what the post-Faustian revolution, what the post-Faustian critique promised? What does Jesus really say? He's a radical rebel. He says everybody is equal, everybody is loved, everybody deserves to be themselves, and everybody uh, will 
individually be able to turn to God. And everybody has their own reason to go with it. And everybody should love everybody else. Well, it sounds like fraternity, uh, uh, liberty, and and uh, uh, and uh, what's the third one? Uh, brother and sisterhood. Uh, yeah, for fraternity, liberty, uh, equality. Yes, equality. So, sorry, like yes, equality. To equality yeah, yeah. So, so actually, the modern revolution is a is a hard revolution, and it but it does it fulfills the promise of the former soft value meme. So the former soft value meme was always like a veneer, even though all Christianity is against slavery and against wars. We had a world of slavery and wars, just a bit less slavery and wars than in in pre-Christian societies. And um, modern society, when it arrived, it actually abolished slavery globally. I mean, in, in practice, there are still 30 million slaves in the world, but proportionally, uh, the, the slavery in the world collapsed. And we also uh, created democratic institutions, which made sure that everybody is equal, in some sense, at least. And we... Uh, but in a more real sense than, than the Christian one, which was all just in theory, uh, with a case society and so forth, uh, or, or uh, uh, well, different stance. And then um, you have, um, and then you have, um, um, I mean, uh, everybody's equal before the law, equality, all of these things, and, and of course the eradication of poverty and disease, uh, which. Christian hospitals tried to do, but they never could. But modernity could do it without adding a moral revolution. But the moral failings of modernity brought about postmodernism. And metamodernism is the practical solution that will bring about the promise of the mod of the of the the promise of the postmodern critique. How so? So that's a long story. Uh, I wrote a book about it called The Listening Society. And then the second <laughs> book about it. Uh, what's, called, the, what's the elevator pitch on that book? Oh, yeah. Uh, like like I've told you uh, when we spoke earlier, elevate, elevators never work, so you have to take the stairs. Uh, however, however, if we if we just take a few steps on those stairs, I, I would like to say the following. Um, if, um, if postmodernism um, has critiques against modern society, what fundamentally are those critiques? What are the moral, righteous rebels telling us? And who are they? Mm-hmm. We have already mentioned them. They, they are the intellectuals. So today, our shared priesthood is not the Catholic Church or any or any other, um, or, or the Brahmins or, or, or any other class like that connected to the spiritual life, which was the case of post-Faustian societies. In modern slash post-modern societies, uh, the the priesthood class is replaced by the intellectuals who are the bad conscience that wake modernity up at night and say, wait a minute, you're destroying the environment. Wait a minute, this isn't fair. Wait a minute, people are alienated. So it says these three things in a million different ways with a million different uh, forms of data and with a million different voices and perspectives and so on. But fundamentally, the postmodern critique is threefold. Modern society, you are destroying the environment, you are destroying your own biosphere, you will crash, and it's, and you're unfair to uh, all the rest of the biosphere. You are anthropocentric and you are killing animals, torturing animals for no good reason, and you will destroy yourself. 
and that sooner rather than later. So that's the most one of the most fundamental critiques. The second one is inequality, which used to be the biggest one when I grew up, but uh, but not not these days. And uh, but it says, wait a minute, you have a rational order with plenty of surplus and more food to uh, then you, you have enough food to feed the mouths of the people of the world twice times over perhaps if you like uh, and still there is starvation and there there's the resources plenty and still there are, there are billions of people under poverty and so on and even those who escape poverty within every company and within every uh, every neighborhood and so on there will be inequalities which are not just a fair reflection of people's abilities there will be inequalities which are unfairly attributed to people which hurt them in ways and hold them back in ways which are just so incredibly cruel and uh, and destroy lives in such subtle and grim manners and then the third one is third postmodern critique is um is alienation that people grow up in a life of abundance and we have all the food in the world and we can eat anything we like and we have you know you can have hospitals and tv and and uh, it's warm inside on a november gray november day but there's something lacking we don't feel truly alive we don't feel truly connected with a higher spiritual unity with the world we don't truly know ourselves we don't we act on the market to get our money but we feel that we're violated that there is a big machine that we're part of which doesn't care about anything mm-hmm. or in anyone and we no, don't want to be part of it and no, I cre- I cre- only I, when we experience that and that is alienation yeah. so these are the three these are the three critiques no but i i i agree with you that that's that's a fair summary uh, of uh, of the critiques of postmodernity uh, so uh, what about metamodernity in in yes, that so sense what, what, about it? So what, what, what is the uh, does metamodernity agree or disagree okay. with, with this critique uh, and how does it bring something to the table that postmodernity didn't do yes so i mean to, to mention one thing to mention one thing uh, on the alienation part to to draw back to the uh, to, to go back to the fundamental point that you brought up to begin with about science and rationality and reductionism that is part of the alienation work we don't want to live in a machine world because we know we are not machines and we know this world is too wondrous to just be newtonian physics uh, it has it, there is something more something experiential and if this doesn't we don't have a world view and a philosophy and an ontology that matches that we always feel subtly disappointed at the world so so that's part of the alienation part i just wanted to add that now and and heidegger who we are an, uh, an expert in uh, is one of the major voices to address that matter now um if going to going to the metamodern the the metamodern step after the postmodern one because it accepts these critiques and adds none actually and because it takes the postmodern mind to its logical conclusion which uh, says wait a minute postmodernism 
So you're saying there's a multiplicity of perspectives that are dependent on power relations. And you say you want to critique the power relations in the name of equality, emancipation, and, and human dignity, and the inclusion of more perspectives. Then how do you know if your critique will be an improvement or not? What is the measure of the ranking of perspectives? Does one perspective have a higher rank than another? Can, it, can, you, can one perspective be said to be a higher understanding, to logically flow from another perspective? And the metamodern mind answers yes. And ironically then, this particular move answers itself. It says, wait a minute, if we need to order perspectives, if we use multiple perspectives, we compare them to each other, and we draw out the best, the highest possible truths, and we understand that different people uh, have different truths depending on who they are and where they are in life and society. Um, and we accept all of these ones, and we see that some are more complex than others, and some are more true in a way, in a sense, and some correspond to more complex societies, and some to simpler societies, and so forth. Then we see, we see that the answer to the question of how, what, where should we be going? Uh, this answer is left unanswered in, in postmodern, in the postmodern critique. But the answer to our question becomes, aha, whichever serves the highest development. Not always and mechanically. I mean, there's no point in forcing people to put on worldviews they shouldn't have, or, but we can see that there is a directionality. So we have found the golden compass. We know, we now know what is north and what, how to travel the world and how to travel the map of the world. So we get a new map of the world. We see that, aha. Uh -huh. Wait a moment. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. Uh, uh, I, I agree uh, uh, that you can find a, a compass here, but you only can do that if you have any kind of uh, agreement what this highest is. Yes. I'm not saying there's the highest. That's, that's or higher. Oh, yes, yes. That's maybe the misconception here. No, no. You know, let me correct myself. I, 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 basically, uh, the, the critique of postmodernity is that uh, you cannot say the word higher in, in, in that sense. I understand when you critique, uh, 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 you, ca you come into kind of a contradiction with yourself uh, because uh, what is the perspective you're critiquing from? But you, you're saying we, 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 we are finding a, a compass here. Uh, by seeing that uh, there is a higher there is a higher perspective, but how do we find this higher perspective? Yeah, so, so there are a few relatively simple principles, actually. Uh, if your truth includes mine, and if it can explain all parts of my truth better than I can explain those truths myself, and that mm -hmm. I would agree to that your explanation of those truths are indeed better, mm -hmm. then your truth is higher than mine. Wait, so wait, wait, you, you mean something to, uh, as an explanation that's more inclusive and, uh, and, yes. and more complex? So, so uh, yes, that's one simple way of saying it. But to be more specific, mm -hmm. that if my thoughts lead down a certain sequence or line, thought A leads to thought B. I mean, let's say we're counting in our heads. And the thought 100 will eventually lead to the thought 200. It can also lead in other directions. You can use other, other mathematical models, but 
especially if you use this, well, you know, real numbers uh, uh, sequenced, positive real numbers sequenced uh, equation, or or this this uh, this uh, entity of numbers, then you will see that if you are at 300 and I'm at 200, eventually I will also come to 300. And my thought, I, I'm saying 100, you're saying, no, 300. And if we talk and if we go through all the subsequent steps between your perspective and my perspective, we will see that eventually I will land where you are at and you will not land where I am at. So that's, that's the difference. Uh, that's how you rank the perspectives. If A leads to B, but B does not lead to A, rather it includes and transcends A and reinterprets it uh, in, in a higher synthesis, in a synthesis that explains it better than it explained itself, then it is a higher perspective. So our, our mission as metamodern activists, political metamodern activists, is to create a listening society. A listening society is one in which people are fundamentally supported in their development of self, their development of psychology, in the development of human relationships, and the development of perspective. So that the average person walking down the street might not know a lot more about the philosophy of science, but just as today from 200 years ago, if you ask a random person on the street uh, about their philosophy of science, it's likely to be the modern philosophy. It's not very likely to be the post-Faustian one or the post-Faustian one. In the future of society, we will have populations which resonate with and express the meta-modern philosophy and just know it by by birthright through through their mother's milk and uh, they will have psychologies and personalities and relationships which correspond to that level of thought and philosophy. And we will have institutions, deliberately created institutions, which serve this overarching purpose, not by brainwashing people or telling them what to think, but by creating good generative conditions for people to develop themselves because we can we now have the compass we can see where development leads we can see that the development of a person if you make a person happy and fulfilled and you stimulate them and you help them learn meditation and you take care of their body you feed them well and you give them loving relationships and stable and uh, and financial stability they are likely to develop in perspective. Um, and when let me ask me let, let me let me ask you about develop, the when they develop in perspective. I'm sorry, they are likely to adopt more complex worldviews. And when they adapt more complex worldviews, their worldviews begin to resonate with more complex societies, which is today the major glitch in the matrix that we walk around in a world where modern society is falling apart, but everybody, everybody on the street is modern, postmodern, or pre-modern, and nobody is metamodern. And we have to make this a metamodern demography and a metamodern world so that people can resonate in new ways and create, create solutions that will spontaneously arise from the metamodern generative conditions hmm. of their relations. 
and the nature of their personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, of course, there are tons of questions that we cannot ask because we just have the constraints of time here. But uh, holding in on the qualities of metamodernism, and uh, as you just described, that, uh, to basically allow a metamodern demography to arise. Uh, one thing that struck me, are uh, uh, reading your book, but again now listening to you, is that you called your book The Listening Society. So it seems to be uh, uh, something in this listening quality that seems to be central to this uh, metamodern paradigm. Uh, first, is this a, a correct interpretation? And if so, wh why do you put this capacity of listening society so central that you call your book like this? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically because uh, my wife may be leaving me if I don't get better at listening to her. And um, and if we don't hear one another and see one another's needs, we create unhappiness. We create failed resonance and we create lost potentials. And we um, we create enormous suffering. We create mutilated human beings who have to get split off in different directions, can't be their whole selves. We create human beings who don't develop well. We create human beings whose lives are tragic shadows of what they could have and should have been. And what we are going to do instead is we are going to create a listening society where it's part of the welfare system, whichever form it may take, a more state-based one or um, civil society market-based one is not the mo most important question. But to imprint the view, the sociological, social psychological view that after the welfare society of today, welfare society is a large part of late modern society. It took 80 years to build thereabout, and it guarantees that we don't starve, basically, and that if we break our legs, even if uh, things are tough, uh, somebody's going to fix our leg. We might just have to do a lot of paperwork. But... If um, if we had a listening society, we would add the higher stages of, let's say, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Not everybody um, subscribes to that theory anymore, but there, there is a certain commonsensical um, way of, of using it, I, I believe, that if you have a welfare society which guarantees our basic needs and our, our safety and our security and to a little extent our belonging, then we are going to create a listening society which adds more layers. We're going to have a thousand mechanisms which increase the likelihood. We can never guarantee belonging. You can't guarantee anything in life, really. You can't guarantee health and food either. What if somebody gets an uh, eating disorders or what if somebody gets hit by a car um, if, if, but we're going to create generative conditions which which in a thousand intelligent uh, intelligently and sensitively weaved ways create propensity for belonging in the world after that we're going to create a thousand mechanisms which create or par in parallel to that which increase the the sense of esteem and self-esteem and self-respect and self-worth that everybody has mm -hmm. and of course the same with self-actualization or re self-realization as it's sometimes called let me let me present you an, inter an interpretation of this listening society that uh, 
yes. it always comes to me uh, when I'm thinking about it. And I have no idea if it relates to anything that you were thinking about this. But uh, in itself, the quality of a listening society, uh, believe it or not, uh, seems to me to have a spiritual core. What I mean is uh, if I take this term of a listening society, uh, a serious listening, um, there is no listening without the quality of not knowing exactly. and, an, and an emergence out of a field of n not knowing. And if you want to have a secular interpretation, <laughs> at least I would say so, what a spirituality could be about, it is uh, that the trust that out of a field of not knowing, something can emerge that is a higher perspective, let's call it in, in your terms. In that sense, uh, without touching anything else that one could would call spiritual, the listening society has a certain quality that is very different than uh, uh, what uh, the modernist uh, definition of a basic the discourse is based on rational arguments, but it's not that the listening aspect that has this not knowing is definitely not in the center of it. And also the postmodern that is basically in the, uh, focused on the point of critique uh, does not have this point. There's something in this listening where something comes together from a place that has a place for the mystery. You are absolutely correct. And I couldn't agree more. Um, so there are many different threads uh, that could be, that could be mentioned in this. Um, I mean, first of all, um, Let's just continue with with the hierarchy of needs. After after self-actualization, let's say we self-actualize. What happens after that? Well, we want to self-transcend. We want to do something larger and bigger and more worthwhile and more mysterious and awesome than our everyday lives. We want to break the chains. We want to become some the Ibermensch uh, in some sense. We want to come emerge as higher beings in higher relationships uh, with the universe, with our, ourselves, with one another. It often means dumping our old notions of self and often means uh, going through altered states of different kind, rebooting the brain and rebooting our fundamental structures of self and relatedness to reality. So what comes to the fore in the listening society, at its pinnacle and core, is the first-person perspective, the phenomenological perspective, meaning that, yes, phenomenology is locked in in every person, so I can't access your phenomenology. For this reason, it's difficult to make science out of it, but it is the ground of reality. All that I ever will experience is phenomenology. So what a waste of resources to not have a society that takes spirituality that takes the first person experience of reality, that takes the altered states of the mind, that take the highest states of the mind and the deepest depths of consciousness and, and, uh, and our psychologies and personalities. Seriously, what a horrible waste of resources. And we're making chewing gum for all of this, all of these resources. And we don't we tell ourselves we don't have time for these things because they would be idle or they would not be non-verifiable or no concrete thing would come out of it. No, we have to be economize our our time and attention towards the inner dimensions of life. So metamodernism, um, political metamodernism, it fights against modern society, but not not really against. It just builds on top of it and dismantles it as it as it emerges itself. And uh, in that, it includes rational truth seeking, 
So in the second book, Nordic Ideology, there are, there is there are six dimensions of metamodern politics, and one of them is um, is empirical politics. It's just that they have to be balanced with other forces, and uh, and they have to balance out and hold other forces in check. So we include we include uh, modernity, but we transcend modernity and we reconstruct it from above and that and from below and from within, and we kind of we see it from another dimension, so we can kind of see through the modern worldview and remake it as we go, remake its culture and remake its institutions that will remake its culture, which will remake its psychology, which will remake humanity uh, without being utopian about it. There will be, uh, there will be new uh, challenges along the way and we won't become perfect. Hansi, we are uh, out of our, our time. Our, Of course, people who are intrigued by what you are bringing here are, uh, there is your book, The Listening Society. There is the second book you just mentioned, uh, The Nordic Ideology. If people want to go, uh, online and look at your work, I think, uh, metamodern.org is the right. Uh, Metamoderna. So uh, Metamoderna, sorry. And then dot org. Yes. Uh, dot org is the right place to go to. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's uh, tons of material. And um, we took a certain angle in this conversation about the relationship to modernity and postmodernity. But I think uh, also where we came to uh, the quality of listening society uh, uh, shows something that uh, uh, metamoderna as a perspective really has maybe the potential to bring uh, things together in a higher integration of the different qualities of what you call post-Faustian, uh, modern and postmodern modern uh, perspective. So thank you very much for what you are bringing here. And uh, again, it was uh, just a tiny little bit of your thoughts, uh, but uh, there are your books and there is also the website. Yeah, and thank you very much for this opportunity and for the work that you do. And it's, um, it's uh, a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we connected very well in Kiev. And um, I want to end on a note that you said about metamodernism. It's a design intervention. We're going to redesign culture. And this is an intervention, a playful intervention, which people like myself, we only ironically believe in. I don't, I'm, I'm not mad. I don't think this, we have the fundamental blueprint to how to redesign society, but I'm putting it out there as a joke, but, but as a serious joke, because we need something to start from. So let's start. Let's start. And thank you for uh, this beginning, and I'm sure it won't be our last conversation. Thank you so much.